Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 16 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders as they roll out a zero trust architecture. With me on today's show are Kevin Bingham, Zero Trust Technical Lead, NSA Cybersecurity Directorate. Devarius Peoples, Chief Information Officer, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Stephen Hernandez, Chief Information Security Officer, Department of Education. Paul Morris, Chief Information Security Officer, CDC. Jim Richberg, Public Sector Field CISO, NVP of Information Security at Fortinet. John Davis, VP Public Sector Palo Alto Networks. And Joseph Hamblin, Department of Defense CTO at Verizon. Well, uh, NIST published uh, 800-207, the ZTA, as they call it, Zero Trust Architecture, back in August of 2020. And then an executive order, order came out from the White House uh, just recently, almost a year later, uh, citing a lot of Zero Trust Architecture implementation requirements, et cetera, et cetera. You all have been at this for quite some time. Kevin, let's start with you. Tell us about the state of the state about Zero Trust Architecture in the community and certainly at NSA. Oh, so thank you. Um, yeah, so so for us, we've um, we've been focused on on trying to continually advance and improve our customers' networks over time. And we've we've uh, we've heard for gosh a good decade had this belief that uh, that it, the assumed breach model was a was a really a good one that that customers needed to take into a, into account. Uh, but what we found was that, that there were a lot of folks that continued to just do things the the way they'd done them in the past. Right that. That uh, you know the 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 ability to have the confidence to break away from that legacy mindset of those programs and those uh, activities that you've been doing in the past to do something different and new is hard. Even when you when you accept a, a, an assumed breach model is what you have to to, to go with. And and two years ago when we started studying um, how can we get a push for improving the security on the inside of, of of some of our networks, we looked at the zero trust model and thought you know that it. It gave a nice disciplined approach to, to start being able to, to, to no kidding, understand different pillars of functional capability areas that people needed to start putting attention into. And, that, and that's what really attracted us to it, that, um, that we'd be able to have a, you know, a, a, a security model, a paradigm change in the way we do it to accept that assumed breach model and actually do some things that are different. Start no kidding, locking down those privileged accounts and uh, and those accesses from the users and the devices, and stop the adversary's ability to maneuver through the network. Um, um, so we're we're pretty we're pretty excited about it. We think that uh, that as the adoption of this security model starts to, to gain momentum, and as people start seeing positive results of their work in this space, that um, that we'll see not only improvements across the federal and DoD space, but also in the vendor community too, to support the needs of of, of their customer base. Stephen, how about over at Department of Education? You all have been on this journey, as we like to call it. Tell us about the state of the state as to how things are going over there. Yeah, and, and first, I'd like to touch on this this idea of the the architecture. Um, you know, almost three years ago now, uh, when Sylvia Burns and the CIO Council um, actually came up with this wild idea and came up with, hey, let's let's look into you know, is it is it the right time at that time to explore zero trust networks? And and that was an interesting distinction because um, the first request was, you know, let's just really focus in on that layer three and and see you know what the art of the possible is. 
um, we, we pulled together several working groups, uh, government focused, especially with our, our friends out at the NIST Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, uh, ACT, IACT, ATARC, a lot of groups started pulling this apart. And particularly on the government side, we, we said, you know what, this is much bigger than layer three. And if, and if we're going to do this right, we really have to talk about the whole seven layer model. We got to touch every single element of it. That's not networks, that's, that's an architecture. And, and that's how we landed on zero trust architecture versus something like zero trust network. We knew we had to evolve it to be more encompassing. At the department, we look at it and we look at the four big pillars, especially if you look at the ACT-IACT model, the NIST model aligns nicely and, and others break it out in different ways. But for us, it's four big pieces. We're looking at data, both do we know what those crown jewels are and can we collect the data necessary from our, our fabric of sensors throughout the enterprise to know what's going on around us. We have ICAM, identity is absolutely core to what we're doing. And for us, that's largely in our ICAM program, um, but there's other elements of identity that we're still looking at building out and how to, especially around non-person entities, how do we continue to evolve that space? And we have the trust engine and uh, NIST calls it the policy engine. That's an area that where we're pushing hard and we're looking at things like the technology modernization fund as to how do we take some of the cool technology that's out there, AI, AML, uh, robotic process automation and bring it in from an enterprise perspective across the across the entire enterprise, which is frankly really hard to do. Lots of ZTA solutions out there do have elements of machine learning and AI built into that particular product space or service space, but is it enterprise-wide and can it co-mingle with other things? Mm, varying degrees of capability there. And then finally, there is that control fabric, the control plane. Uh, and that's uh, another area of work for us that we're driving hard, probably the most nascent and on the horizon for us because we just awarded EIS. We're getting lots of incredible technology through that service offering, software-defined network perimeter and WAN. All of that's going to be necessary technology along with some new ways of encryption. You bring it all together. That's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, and I think if you look across the federal space writ large, you're going to see uh, similar in, in terms of where folks at. Some folks are a little further ahead, uh, especially in the control plane. Other folks are still trying to get their arms around, you know, do I have an enterprise data lake where I can put all this great data and then use it to, to throw AML at it and eventually have AI make smart decisions? Paul, you are at a very complex uh, uh, operating component. You're now at another very complex operating component. Uh, tell us uh, how, how you're doing on this journey about uh, putting this framework together. Um, I, you know, I really like what Kevin and Steve have said and, and took it really from a strategic level um, down to, you know, what we're doing. So, you know, hard work at the, at the CISO councils, um, you know, up to the CISO council as to where we're going. You know, it takes, it takes some policy and it takes a lot of people to roll up their sleeves, but there's a lot of existing projects that we've been after here for years in, in different places in the enterprise under different teams that when you step back and think, and I love this, it, it is an architecture, it is a framework, and how do you bring them together so that we can start to think about uh, establishing trust in any user, in any device, accessing any data and bringing those together so a decision can be made at that point in time, is this the right connection? So going down to you know, some of the, the things that we have going, we're, we're taking advantage of, of the, you know, the Tech 3.0 opportunities that are, that are available to us and bringing a solution that brings cloud access directly down to the user. Um, that's really an opportunity to, to take SaaS technology 
and, and really also provide that, that tick security monitoring capability that's so important. On the upside to our users, we don't have to backhaul all that data back to our data center up through a single tick from the department. Uh, reducing that latency as, uh, as we're finding ourselves all in these cloud, multi-cloud environments. So that, that's a big plus to me is, is bringing those things together. We're also working really hard right now on bringing identity access controls into our next generation firewalls. I mean, that's a very technical thing, but you know, in the past it was you know, a port and a protocol and, and, and maybe an IP address and, and you kind of left alone. Well, we know based on the attacks and breaches and ransomware attacks, um, they're taking advantage, as Steve would say, you know, above layer five, um, you know, and, and they're coming in at the application and user. So, so thinking about how to use namespaces instead of IP addresses, specific users or groups, that's that part of the decision policy point of saying, do they really need access to this data um, along with network segmentation? And we're starting to build that architecture and that framework where I think we're going to see results long-term of keeping folks out of our networks. Jim, how about over at Fortinet? You all are right smack in the middle of it there, right? You're seeing on sort of both ends. Tell us what you're seeing out there. What's the state of the state these days? So, so Luke, we've been focused on helping these departments and agencies build the foundations, the functional capabilities that are laid out in 800-207, and especially in the areas of identity management, access control, and applying and enforcing lease privilege. And I'll, I'll give you three quick examples. On the user identity front, we recently helped one cabinet agency create the identity to upgrade what it was doing a multi-factor multi authentication and integrate it with its existing user identity program for about a 50,000 uh, user population. On device management and access control, we've helped numerous others work on identifying and defining security policy for headless devices. We recognize we're now in a world where IoT and operational technology are our new reality. That with uh, the post-COVID normal, you're going to have things like smart building technology and HVAC, things that you can't really update. So you need to track the behavior of those devices. You need to do that virtual patching to work around their vulnerabilities, and you need to alert to abnormal behavior. And we've helped a couple of other agencies with broad operational networks move that policy enforcement engine that, that Stephen talked about closer to that edge where the localized data is, be able to have these smaller firewalls that could do the segmentation and still share data as if it's one federated network. So this is what we're trying to do in industry, help them build the foundations you need to make the pillars of 800-207 work. John, how about over at Palo Alto? Once again, another uh, another entity that that's really right in the middle of this uh, zero trust architecture fabric, if you will. Give us the state of the state. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Uh, just like my good friend Jim Richberg said, uh, we're also committed to helping our government partners on this journey. Uh, in terms of a progress report, um, well, we're going to see shortly how the departments and agencies are meeting the executive order uh, requirements for zero trust architecture because the homework is coming due very soon. You know, it was the 12th of May that the Biden administration issued that EO on improving the nation's cybersecurity. I have a feeling that it had probably some fuel underneath the fire based on uh, things such as solar winds and other, other special events that we've experienced over the past six months. And the EO lays out a series of actions that uh, federal departments and agencies are gonna have to take to strengthen their cyber defenses, including uh, within 60 days, so due in the next couple of days, 
Each agency head has got to develop a plan to implement the zero trust architecture and incorporate the migration steps that the NIST uh, has outlined in the standards and guidance. So, you know, from my perspective, the EO section on modernizing federal government cybersecurity in particular includes that strong emphasis on the importance of adopting a zero trust architecture across uh, all network and cloud environments by leveraging those NIST standards. Um, the executive order, I think, represents an important step, but it is a journey. We've been partnered with uh, NIST and its National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence uh, since early 2018 in working to define industry-leading standards for zero trust architectures. And I just want to compliment NIST on its outreach to many out here in the, in the industry in a partnered effort to try to help do this. So we think we can help. And this plays a key role in being able to do that. Joseph, how about over at Verizon? Once again, another major player in the middle of, of enabling the zero trust architecture across the community. Thank you, Luke. Yeah, we've been, we have a large base of existing you know, TIC 2.0 customers that we've been working with to help them develop plans to meet the executive order, you know, migrate that up into uh, you know, a, a TIC 3.0 solution, which includes you know, SASE solutions and SD-WAN capabilities. Um, the, one of the challenges a lot of customers are facing is where to get started. Uh, and the executive order really uh, puts an emphasis on collapsing that timeframe and, and you know, coming up with a direction. Um, so performance, we want to maintain performance. And some of my colleagues on the panel have also mentioned, I think, an area that I think is very critical is around identity. You know, generally, you know, typically on the network side, there's a separation between the actual user in front of the device uh, and, and you know, the device itself. So you know, we're, we're focused in on collapsing that down so that we have now we have a device. We know who the actual user of that device is so we can start making you know, identity decisions. Uh, what resources and they should get access to. The various, how about over at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers? Uh, I, as the chief information officer, uh, right, you, you're it, so to speak. And uh, no doubt that you all are, are well uh, on a journey there to, to implement the capability. Tell us the state of the state. Yeah, so, so, so good morning. I mean, it's, it's been interesting, uh, interesting state at the Corps of Engineers. We have, we've received the executive order. Um, the good thing is things were progressing before the order came out. Um, so when we look at zero trust, some of the things that we've done, and we've had good conversations with the, uh, with the federal CIO council members on zero trust. We've also had good conversations with internal to the Department of the Army on some of these things. So we've developed what we call a zero trust playbook. Um, the zero trust playbook goes through about 12 different areas um, because when most people talk about zero trust, you only see it maybe from about three different perspectives. But we've gone from all aspects of zero trust to include the training aspects, the mm. training from the executive level down to the technician that is responsible for implementing those things as well. Um, because ultimately, in order to implement and execute, you have to be trained. And we put a heavy emphasis on the training of our personnel. Um, one of the things we've also begin to do is look at zero trust from the perspective of not just IT, but OT as well, um, because from the Corps of Engineers, we have a heavy civil mission. And that civil mission includes uh, working with a lot of the levees, locks and dams at the local state uh, state level. And with that being said, we support those state levels when it comes to disaster recovery, uh, waterway missions, uh, critical infrastructure and those type of things. And that's one area that we believe could be enhanced even as we work to meet the order of the, uh, the executive order that was published. So we're looking at it from all aspects, OT, IT, and how do we implement our zero trust framework through a playbook? And that playbook also constitutes training as well. Well, listen, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network.
This is Bob Fortna. At Fortinet Federal, we understand government cybersecurity professionals want to reduce operational challenges, make cybersecurity more manageable, and deliver actionable information. Our integrated and automated solutions reduce complexity and ensure mission success at speed and scale. Fortinet is a leading U.S. cybersecurity company with a 20-year track record of innovation. See why agencies rely on Fortinet Federal. For more information, go to FortinetFederal.com. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We are committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. VerizonEnterprise.com slash federal IT. Zero Trust Security has rapidly evolved from a theory to a practice, and Palo Alto Networks is committed to helping the government establish its Zero Trust strategy. We offer protection, whether your agency is on-prem, in the cloud, or using a hybrid combination of both. And since Zero Trust is a long-term practice that offers optimal security when implemented correctly, it makes sense to work with a trusted partner. For more information on Palo Alto Networks' end-to-end security framework, go to paloaltonetworks.com slash U.S. Federal. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about the implementation of zero trust architecture. And I'm going to go over to you, Paul, and uh, give us an example of a, a, a you know, a program uh, that uh, you, you've snapped in a piece of the zero trust architecture, if you will, over there at CDC. I would really have to point to, um, you know, our privileged access management mm-hmm. um, efforts uh, you know, these things work when you have folks who, who uh, understand the complexities of, of what that means. It brings the, the elements of, of separation of duties and least privilege, uh, which are so critical in, in defending uh, against an adversary. But our program of, of is really advanced past just, you know, managing an active directory, but installing technology so that we, when we grant access, um, there's, there's a lot of administrative and technical checks that are along the way to make sure that that you're granted access to a, uh, a, a use case or need that you need to with elevated privileges. Um, so we go through those checks and before it's we grant that, we cycle your, your credentials, your username and password every time that uh, you uh, use those, we throw them in the trash and then we watch them and make sure that those folks who are using those elevated privileges are staying where they should be. Are they in the same? building that they should be? Are they working during the times that they should be? Have, are they trying to give themselves more privileges? Those things set off alarm bells that, that make us all go running and we're constantly looking. And we added to that over the uh, over the holidays when we were working through the Christmas and New Year's times, looking at the uh, Office 365 um, and the exchange uh, challenges we had, looking at those logs from what's going on in our cloud and our exchange environments. Um, so we continue to to evolve that, and we're only we're just going to continue moving that out to all programs, uh, out to a mobile device, and into the cloud. That is so critical for making sure that people only have the privilege they need for the job that they're doing, and then we make sure it doesn't change unless we actually make that change. Kevin, let's go over to you at, at NSA, recognizing the directorate you're, you're in. Perhaps you can't cite a specific program, but maybe you can talk to us about the steps and strategies you're advising others to use in regards to some of those programs. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, 
so our, my team is externally focused. So we're we're focused on customers and uh, and, and in our in our effort to to learn and uh, and um, help customers get to zero trust. We we see a, a number of different examples, and we've worked with a number of different uh, partners along the way. And um, and and we've seen those efforts that work well and get up to speed quickly, and those that and those that don't. I, I would say that one of one of the attributes of a successful zero trust program um, is really getting that that full buy-in from the senior leaders of the organization um, all the way down to those engineers, the architects, the administrators, the implementer, the implementers of the, uh, of, of the, of the capabilities themselves. When we see that things roll pretty quickly, when we don't see that um, it's, it's, it's not that the organizations don't come around to recognizing the value of zero trust, but it slows things down a lot. Um, so that's, that's an attribute of a successful program. Make sure you've got that full support of the organization buying in to begin with, um, and, and that's fantastic. Um, this is a, a paradigm change, right? So, so we need to make sure that, that people aren't just saying, sure, I'm doing some zero trust, and, and I know that I got to worry about users and devices and whether or not those devices are able to access resources, but, but accepting that an adversary is assumed in the network you really need to have that there uh, in order to drive change, in order to drive those, as, as Mr. Morris said, those protections of those privileged accounts and, and being paranoid about those. You, it, it's, it's, it's not paranoid. It's the way we should have been doing things for years. And, and that assumed breach model helps us get there. So, so understanding that, that paradigm change to drive um, changes within your network. If you are on an open Wi-Fi uh, coffee shop network, you're trying to secure that. How would you do that differently, right? That's a it's a really good mental exercise to to think about uh, the capabilities that you choose. It's not it's a, it's not about the technology either. It's about um, the implementation of the of the capabilities, about the the implementation of the model itself. Um, we've seen customers buy new products, um, and we've seen you know some military um, partners uh, do it with very little cost using enterprise uh, software licenses and, and capabilities. Um, successfully, so um, you know that that is fantastic. But but ultimately, the, the the resources need to be there both on the people side as well as the funding side. Um, and then and then I would also say this is another important point um, based on programs that we've seen that have been successful is methods to do validation, right? And so an example of that could be um, you know bringing a red team in, right? So it's really great to have a red team assessment that uh, has has baseline your environment in the past and then be able to measure your effectiveness as you start rolling out zero trust in the future to see where you're where you're doing better are you are you shutting the red teams down or are they still able to get around if they are then have them help you figure out what changes need to happen in order for you to, to, mm -hmm. to tighten up that network yeah you we know. are starting to we're seeing we're seeing success out there with the a little going a long way, right? So if people start rolling out with a, with an understood and, uh, and properly implemented zero trust model, we start seeing success from those red team assessments pretty quickly. John, how about over at uh, Palo Alto Networks? Uh, can you give us an example of a, a program where you're seeing this uh, work very well? Perhaps there's already some technology in place and they're just reconfiguring it to snap into the, the overall framework and enable a, a piece of the zero trust architecture. Yeah, Luke, if you, uh, if you look at the direction that NIST is heading and that the EO is aligning to, um, I think that is a good model for a successful program. It's the right framework and it's complete. Um, 
And, and let me just, you know, not to insult anybody, but to go over the, the components of that, uh, three core components, the policy enforcement point, you know, the policy uh, engine and the policy administrator are those three core components. And then you've got to have the four uh, functional components uh, addressed. And that's the data security component, the endpoint security component, and as we've heard so many times uh, earlier, the identity and access management component. But don't forget about that fourth component, the security analytics component that encompasses all the threat intelligence feeds and traffic and activity monitoring for an enterprise. You know, it gathers the security and behavior analytics about the current state of assets and continuously monitors those assets uh, to actively respond to threats or malicious activity. Uh, so I believe that companies like Palo Alto Networks if they're gonna be a good partner in this journey, they've got to demonstrate how, how our capabilities align to those, uh, those core and functional components. Very important piece of it to, to kind of bring it all together and uh, a critical uh, way of, of uh, attempting to implement uh, the various pieces and parts. Stephen, how about at Department of Education? Uh, give us an example, if you will, of a, a piece of the framework or a step that you've taken or perhaps you've got it all done. Who knows? Uh, uh, in regards to the ZTA, as we like to call it. So, so I, I think I've said it uh, several different ways, but I think my favorite is, uh, you know, this is a lifestyle. Um, I, I think I'm safe in saying zero trust is is the pursuit of perfection, and we we will likely never get there, but we're going to pursue the hell out of it until until we get as close as we can. Um, having said that, I think for us, uh, one of the areas uh, that that I'd like to highlight is around what we're doing with data. And so for us, when we look at zero trust um, from the cybersecurity perspective, we said, you know, the standard idea of, of a seam or even a data warehouse is not going to be sufficient for us as we look into the future, the next five years, 10 years, when it comes to zero trust architectures. So for us, um, we started almost two years ago building a cyber data lake. And the whole concept being that we want the native data in its raw format accurate, thorough, timely. And if there's data out there in the environment that leads to information about cyber risk, it needs to be in our data warehouse or excuse me, our data lake or accessible by our data lake in a data lake fabric. And so for us, what we've done is one, we, we made some good architectural decisions there. One, we built it in the cloud. So extensibility and elasticity is, is not an issue. We, we throw more money at it and wow, it gets bigger. It's pretty cool how that works. Um, but the other part is now that we're looking at how do we then make use of all that data, um, we're doing some pretty cool stuff with our, our human skill sets as well. We're bringing on actual data scientists into say our security operations mm. space because they're gonna be the ones that are gonna help us train the machines later. But first we have to have folks have a great idea of what data we have, what it looks like, where there might be nuances to that data. And then also where we need to build out say a data warehouse-like capability, which in our case is our SIM use case. It's effectively just a data warehouse within that data like, uh, that we have the right folks in the skill set to do it. And then as we bring on additional zero trust capabilities, one, they have to be able to feed into that ecosystem for data, but also they need to be able to leverage what's in that ecosystem. So really cool uh, space right now. We call it our data dominance initiative, uh, stealing some, some thunder from our friends over in the DOD side. Um, but the, that message resonates. Folks get it. They're like, oh, my logs need to be in your data lake. Okay, we'll make it happen. 
Joe, how about over at Verizon? Uh, give us an example of where you're seeing this being implemented in a, uh, in a fantastic way or, or maybe a not so fantastic way. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, we have, you know, we're, our customers are focused on, on the network. You know, they, a lot of them, again, are at the TIC 2.0 level, which, you know, now they're trying to move up into protecting the cloud resources. And you know, one of the challenges we, they struggle with, I think I said before, is how to, how to get started. So we're working with them, really focused on, you know, DHS and the CIS organization, Sean Connolly and his team have been really good, have created some use case patterns that our customers can sort of follow, you know, that one being the remote user. And a lot of that focuses around you know, the classic VPN, you get access into the entire network, which is not really, you know, in, in the zero trust type of, you know, vein. So they're implementing more what I call application, application, you know, type of VPN technologies. And as many of the colleagues in the panel have mentioned, it, you can't do it all at once. It, you know, so when we work with our, our customers, we're trying to do sort of the crawl, walk, run, where you know, we have, you know, we, we do something, we got to make sure that we train and educate the users on what's going to happen because the user experience it may change. You want to make sure that they're on board you know, with what's going on so, you know, so that it's successful. I also think um, the CDM, Continuous Diagnosis and Monitoring, now that is part of you know, the TIC 3.0 program, I think that's really key because now we bring the endpoint into it as well. So not only are we authenticating the user to a specific device to only give them access to that, but we're also making sure that the, the endpoints are all compliant. Uh, you know, which is really key so that we, we have the whole things all integrated together. A lot of your, you know, your um, SASE solutions now are tightly coupled, tightly integrated with your endpoint solution. So it's not you know, this distinct technology operating independently. Now it's, it's all integrated together. Various, you, uh, you talked about the education piece, which is really clutch. Give us an example of another piece that you're, you're, you've implemented there that you'd like to highlight. Yeah, so I think one of the things we, we try to, emphasize of the core of engineers is how do we meet the end user where they are how do we meet that engineer at a distant insight enabling them to be able to do their mission effectively and efficiently because ultimately it from our perspective is an enabler right so a lot of times we, we we use a lot of technical terms we talk a lot of technical things but an end user says what does this mean to me um so at the end of the day we begin to take the the conceptual aspects of zero trust and begin to operationalize that concept so with that being said, from a DOD perspective, many are probably aware of the, the CVR, which is the commercial virtual remote environment that was just recently uh, decommissioned due to the fact that we, we're beginning to modernize and think, think a little bit differently. But CVR was a great example of how we operationalized the zero trust methodology and concept due to the fact that you have a, a major weapon system being that of uh, the Microsoft Teams capability, which enables collaboration or mission collaboration to it end user through a through a mobile device that means you can do your job effectively anywhere and collaborate efficiently with anybody um, throughout whether that was the department or the federal space dod or non-dod entities and with that being said being that we were in many different zones or different areas or departments whether you were air force army navy uh, throughout dod you had the ability to connect with all of your partners so that means being able to allow all deny uh, deny all allow by exception partitioning to allow for those that need access into to their mission critical data, mission critical elements, being able to have good access to view and, and receive di uh, those, those logs and communicate externally with, with vendor partners with regards to being able to secure, to secure that information as well. So that was a very good example of how we operationalize the concept of zero trust to enable the end user to effectively be able to, to perform their mission. And then again, we're also looking at it from the perspective of OT because taking something such as HVAC, um, when you think about construction, being able to build different buildings and those type of things, and you have Wi-Fi sensors and all those other things inside of the enterprise, you have to be able to deploy some type of 
zero trust principles in order to ensure that those OT capabilities are properly secured as you transfer buildings over to different customers. So we, we've done a lot in that space and we continue to lean forward, learn and grow, but, um, but we have begun to uh, execute on the zero trust principles and not just theoretically conceptualize some of those things as well. Jim, how about over at Fortinet? You really have an opportunity there to stripe across a variety of communities there. Give us an example of a program that you'd like to highlight uh, that's uh, implementing a piece of this uh, architecture. So I'm going to actually riff on what Devarius said, which is how do you support the user and how do you operationalize this? We, we are asked to come in and help a major cabinet agency that has branch offices nationwide that even during COVID had not only work from home, but, but mobile users. And they had part of the agency had a law enforcement mission with investigative responsibilities that required going into dodgy places on the internet. So that assumption of compromise is true. So we had to find a way to help this agency do software-defined networking, allow these investigators to be on the dark web, and by implementing zero trust, work with the assumption that if you're if your secure device got compromised, you could still turn around and work back on the agency network without allowing those threats to migrate upstream. That's the essence of zero trust for the field user. All right. Well, we're going to start talking about priorities. I'm going to throw it over to you, Stephen. Give us your uh, top couple of priorities as far as zero trust architecture for this year. Absolutely. So I, I think I mentioned in, in the data space and the ICAM space where we're rocking solid for us, the real opportunity on the horizon is, is around SAS or SASE, depending on uh, how you want to pronounce it. That's a secure access service edge. And then also SOAR, uh, security orchestration and automation, especially as it relates to our security operation. These two areas combined bring about 90% of uh, a zero trust architecture into, into possibility. Um, and when we think about those, we're really talking about two areas. We're, we're talking about that idea of the control plane, and that's where a lot of that SaaS technology comes in. Um, and the important part about the SaaS technology, and this is, uh, you know, someone mentioned Sean Connolly's name earlier. Uh, when we talk about, you know, how do we really move the idea of the tick? How do we move that into the cloud? Really, we're talking about SaaS. We're, we're talking about moving the idea of a tie cap, which is a physical construct, into a virtual concept, which is now going to be in the cloud. Uh, and that's just a, a fundamental game changer. That combined with, for example, some of the endpoint uh, client technology where Guess what, end user? You're no longer using a VPN, at least in the way you think you are, because that that client on the endpoint is going to handle almost all the encryption, and it's going to be done without your involvement and interaction. Wow, what a win for the end user! And that's really how we start selling zero trust. As it's not only good for the goose and the gander, it's going to make your job better and easier because a lot of the security interruptions that you may feel you have now, they're frankly going to fade away. On the source side, that gets into kind of that trust engine discussion. And how do we really start the orchestration and automation of actions, starting in the SOC, the react and response side, but then also as we start to bring on newer technologies like the software defined technologies in the networking space, SOAR gives us the capability to say, wow, that's some funky behavior going on. Why, why is that asset getting scanned? Because frankly, it shouldn't. And we don't know where the heck that scan is coming from. Tell you what, let's direct that over to the honey net and throw up a honey pot that looks at the, those ports that they're looking at and let's see what they're doing. Let's see if we can capture some tools while we're at it. When we talk about SOAR and SAS, those are the capabilities that we're bringing to the forefront. And for us in the next two, three years, that's really what we're going to be driving hard on. Uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. 
Zero Trust Security has rapidly evolved from a theory to a practice, and Palo Alto Networks is committed to helping the government establish its Zero Trust strategy. We offer protection, whether your agency is on-prem, in the cloud, or using a hybrid combination of both. And since Zero Trust is a long-term practice that offers optimal security when implemented correctly, it makes sense to work with a trusted partner. For more information on Palo Alto Networks' end-to-end security framework, go to paloaltonetworks.com slash U.S. Federal. This is Bob Fortna. At Fortinet Federal, we understand government cybersecurity professionals want to reduce operational challenges, make cybersecurity more manageable, and deliver actionable information. Our integrated and automated solutions reduce complexity and ensure mission success at speed and scale. Fortinet is a leading U.S. cybersecurity company with a 20-year track record of innovation. See why agencies rely on Fortinet Federal. For more information, go to fortinetfederal.com. Advancements in technologies present federal agencies with both opportunities and challenges. At Verizon, we embrace those challenges. Verizon invests billions in our global networks every year to deliver secure data reliably. Our advanced communication solutions and modern call centers connect your workforce and citizens in the office, in the field, and internationally. We are committed to modernization that delivers better mission results faster. Verizon, we don't wait for the future, we build it. Verizonenterprise.com slash federal IT. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about implementation of zero trust architecture, and we were actually talking about priorities for this coming year, uh, the live year that we're in. Kevin, I'm going to throw it over to you. What are the priorities for you all over there at the NSA? So uh, at, at NSA, my team uh, being externally focused, and so I'll, I'll keep it to, to that set of priorities. Um, of course. For us, it's going to be largely customer focused, our customers being critical system owners, uh, national security systems to include uh, DOD customers as well. Um, we've been working with uh, the Defense Information Systems Agency and, and Cybercom um, over the last year to, um, to try to create guidance documents that will help the DOD specifically um, as a first release um, understand and move towards zero trust. So uh, DOD released a um, a zero trust reference architecture uh, back a few months ago, which um, which we're hoping will help folks understand and, and, and understand within the DOD how to apply zero trust principles. Following from that, we um, our team is focused on, uh, on, on partnerships with DISA to make sure that we understand what test beds uh, we need to continue to develop in order to, uh, to learn, to practice, to innovate, turn that into guidance, um, future guidance, um, and then evolve uh, and learn how to do uh, zero trust capabilities more efficiently, whatever those challenge areas you know might happen to be, and that might be in in, a, in, in data tagging and data protection, and maybe in identity and so forth. But um, those are or analytics, and those are those are challenge areas for us already um, that we see uh, needing help with. But but for us, it's going to be trying to just stay connected with our with our customers in the community and try to produce the guidance that uh, we feel like will help them. Um, in areas that uh, that they need help. Various. How about over at the core? What are the priorities over there for this year? Yeah. So so again, we continuing to stick with the same constant theme. I think that we we've had meeting that end user where they are. Uh, several critical priorities that we we begin to put focus on. One is the leveraging of shared services. Um, when you talk about zero trust, you think about shared services. You think about the federal government. Um, that's one of the things that I personally believe that from a federal DOD side of the house, we could do a lot better job of uh, leveraging some of the things that our, that our brethren and, and other organizations have done 
and through zero trust, being able to ensure that it's properly secure. So leveraging that capability to help empower the end user. Uh, the next thing I would say is that the digital transformation aspects of things, um, because in order to really be a, a world-class organization, which, which we continue to emphasize in Army Corps of Engineers, that digital transformation journey is very critical and key. And zero trust is an enabler. Um, it is an enabler of, of mission effectiveness and efficiency. So being able to secure, protect all um, with leveraging a lot of your other good cyber terms, being that of continuous monitoring and those type of things, um, that's also another area we're looking at. And then I think last but not least, we're putting a lot of emphasis on the data modernization, data strategy journey, um, because ultimately, in order to access critical information through a mobile device, whether you're sharing it with other mission partners, um, that's ultimately the goal. And being able to secure that data through, a, through the zero trust methodologies and principles, it allows us to be a lot more efficient uh, when it comes to meeting mission goals and objectives. So those are some of the critical things we're beginning to look at for FY22 or that we've identified for FY22 as we begin to evolve as a world-class organization. Paul, how about, how about over at CDC? Uh, can you outline the priorities that you've got in front of you this year? Yeah, our, our, our number one priority is to support our mission. We are, um, we are still knee deep in a response to the pandemic. Uh, we've deployed uh, multiple uh, national level critical systems that support uh, the ordering, tracking of vaccines, uh, tracking of testing, um, and then bringing that, that data from across the nation, whether it's a small public health department at the state level, all the way to, to our, our data stores. And how do we make sense of that quickly? Put that in an area. So we're talking data analytics, we're talking accessibility. We're trying to get that to the people who need it quickly to make decisions at the national level, but down to the state and, and local level. So it is a big data challenge and there's an opportunity um, to add that to what we've also uh, receive funds for is, is uh, our, our specific public health data modernization uh, initiatives that we have, which are allowing us to upgrade really legacy systems of data collection, supporting all the mission areas of, of CDC. And we're bringing those to the cloud. We're bringing that data into a data lake and into multiple areas. So it gives us an opportunity now as we're doing this change to apply the zero trust architectures, the things that we learn, and I think the opportunity, and this is a priority for us, is to make sure that we don't take the way that we were doing it in, the, in a data center. We're taking it into native cloud environments. We're, we're leveraging the zero trust of, of segmentation and looking at users and who has access um, and then making it easier for our user. Again, we need to get the data to whoever needs it, where they need it. Um, and then I would say, you know, one of the big things is we move into these multi-clouds that we can then monitor securely and provide access is we are moving towards an area where we can move data back and forth between clouds, between the premise to the cloud, do that quickly, securely leveraging the technologies that we've talked about by people and applications that are trusted in this framework that, that we do. So there's a lot of work on policies, a lot of work, but again, we need to embrace the future to, to really take hold of the modernization and innovation that, that we're under, undertaking. Well, we're going to uh, swing down and start talking about uh, the future. And I want to start with you, Joe, over at Verizon. And if you could outline, you know, uh, fast forward a couple of years, what, what are you expecting out there? What, what, what is sort of, what's the demand signal that you're getting from the customer base in regards to zero trust architecture? Yeah, Luke, thank you very much for that. Yeah, I, 5G is an area, a focus area for Verizon. We expect uh, 5G as, it, as things go forward to become really a key technology that's going to really allow us to implement these zero trust 
that protocol allows, especially with explosion of IoT devices now, and it's, that's just going to continue. More and more sensors will get out. We put out there. You, we, some mentioned earlier HVAC systems, and they're going to be temperature. So it's going to be just a plethora of different sensors out there. With with 5G environment, we can we can do network slicing. We can you know, isolate those devices. Also, it provides a lot of capabilities to the end user to be able to remote and get access to the resources. Um, so that, that's and we want to blend uh, 5G into as I mentioned zero trust, but as well as into the the TIC program. Right now, the TIC program is is coming out with a 5G uh, use case that we're participating in, uh, as well as I see that you know continuing of a, of a SASE and SD WAN, what I call network as a service. Uh, those type of technologies are going to be. Uh, really impactful into our customers. The DoD community has been really aggressively pursuing uh, EITAS type of solutions. And I expect that we're going to start seeing that on the public sector side as customers look to, to outsource you know, you know, their IT as a service. And so be, being able to have these capabilities like, like you know, again, the, the TIC 3.0 capability, SASE, SD-WAN, network as a service, and then leveraging the 5G, we'll be able to provide a comprehensive you know end-to-end -end solution for our customers. John how about over at Palo Alto uh, I would imagine that uh, um, uh, going forward you all are always trying to stay ahead probably got some things in the petri dish what's it look like out there what's the uh, what's the demand signal from Palo Alto? Yeah thanks Luke uh, you know the way I look at it at its core zero trust done right enables a a cybersecurity posture where only authorized users are allowed access to uh, authorized applications with authorized content and data on authorized networks from authorized devices using authorized processes and everything else is prohibited. Easy to say, very hard to do. And we, we recognize that organizations need help with practical implement, implementation of zero trust. So for a vision of the future, we're developing a zero trust design service to help translate uh, an organization's zero trust strategy into practical implementation. So we're not just someone who's gonna plug a capability into your plan. We wanna help you develop that plan in the first place. Uh, four, four basic steps, help you identify the critical assets. Uh, second step, uh, complete the asset discovery and flow mapping. So after the critical assets are identified, uh, create an inventory of the, of the assets and uh, map flows to them. And this step is often the most challenging and time consuming, but there are different tools available for logging and analyzing network flows based on uh, your network uh, and access. Third step, create a zero trust architecture, uh, design built on the principles to include segmentation requirements, privileged, uh, privileged access controls, endpoint controls, security analytics and functional needs and then finally develop the implementation plan that should work to minimize the impact to production workflows. So with the uh, architecture design and implementation plan in hand, organizations can then be empowered with multiple options to ex execute the implementation. So that's what we're trying to do is to help organizations design it and work through a practical implementation of zero trust. Jim, I know you're doing that as well over at Fortinet. Uh, what's it look like in a couple of years uh, from, from your perspective? So Luke, we've talked a lot about zero trust architecture and its complexity. What we've got to do, you, you know, you're looking at a half a dozen or more functions that you need to perform. And that's a lot of stuff to buy or build and to maintain. So it's about ensuring zero trust between user 
and a service, a location. So can you get it down to two components? Something that you do at the enterprise end, whether it's on-premise or in the cloud, where you got to probably have a Swiss Army knife in terms of zero trust, and something that you do at the endpoint, at the client end. Uh, and we've actually already got the proof of concept that we're piloting with multiple federal agencies about how to simplify it so that it's not six to 10 things that I have to actively manage, but something that can be down to two. But, and as I look farther into the future, it's gonna have to be about convergence. We've talked about software defined networking, accelerated migration to the cloud. We're getting to a point where security and networking are gonna be inseparable. So it's going to have to be incumbent on us to think about how do we enable and secure connections between users, data and computing resources, regardless of location. And that's going to come down to, can I do that with zero trust principles. So zero trust is going to go mainstream. Paul, uh, they say it takes, you know, seven to nine years to get this fully implemented. Uh, Stephen will tell you, you're never fully implemented. I, th I tend to agree with that. What does it look like for CDC in a couple of years? Well, where, where, when you look around in two years, where do you think you are on the journey? I, you know, I have to agree with Steve. It, you know, this is really a lifestyle choice. This is a change in, 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 in how we manage uh, and provide that critical service to, to the enterprise and our customers. Um, it's not just, you know, you get accounts over here, you know, you have tickets over here. I mean, it's, it's bringing together the organization uh, of really service uh, as needed of IT. Um, I see that, you know, this is gonna be that standard going forward. What I really like here is the fact that we're gonna do a lot of work here based on the executive order to really codify architecture and direction in cloud security, software development security, supply chain, and zero trust. All these things are coming together. So um, there's also a big piece in there that says, we're gonna change the FAR. We're gonna change the way that we buy services and partner with technology partners. And then we're gonna build that trust in that third party ecosystem of, of part partners. So all of this is coming together. That's gonna to make it easier, I think, in the future, so that when we have a, a business need where there's, hey, I need something in a hurry, I've got this new threat or challenge I need to overcome with technology. Somebody comes to the table and there's a clear way I need to join and I need to, I need to act and it's gonna be like this. Right now, you know, we're looking for that policy, that playbook, that, that sense of direction. Those things are all coming together now. I think in two to three years, all that, a lot of that work is gonna be done, documented, and then we're all gonna say, okay, well, where do you fit? What are the gaps? And then I can talk about what's missing instead of, trying to evolve. So I see this as a great way forward. Um, and again, it, it's not one tool, not one solution. And it's going to take an entire team uh, to make this work. Stephen, you've been at this for quite some time. You were involved with uh, sort of the origins of putting together a lot of this at the council. Where do you see the Department of Education on their journey over the next couple of years? Yeah, so I think the, the immediate, of course, the, the SOAR and the, the SASE, I think looking beyond that, though, if I were to read the tea leaves, I, I think that we're going to see is a continued push towards this idea of shared services and frankly, software as a service uh, for a lot of the mission focused areas in the department. And I think what that means is that we're going to continue to abstract away and we're going to continue to say anything below layer five is absolutely untrusted. Six were a little shaky. 
we're really going to focus up on that application level in terms of how we're looking at zero trust. And I think that's where necessarily this, this evolves and this moves to where we have greater separation of the trust layers and up until the point where we're saying we're actually only going to deploy trust and we're actually only going to think about trust at layer seven. But that's going to be a fundamental shift in, in how we think about business because we're going to have to lean really hard on our application development folks and helping them get up to speed on what zero trust means. And when they're developing software as a service, which is what we all love to consume because from our side, that's the easy button. But we need to make sure that they then have the right architectures and the right approach from a software development perspective to be able to integrate with that zero trust ecosystem. And I think that's going to be the the future. I think in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see some smart players in the field say, you know what, we're going to handle it all at layer seven, and we're going to show you how we do it. We've got great telemetry, we got data about behavior and actions within that software layer, and we integrate with your data lake, we're happy to take actions from your trust engine. I think that that's going to be the future. It's going to be a real hard road to get there because there's some transformative shifts in the software development mindset that are going to have to take place to make that happen. Tavarius, um, you laid out some real crisp, concrete steps you're taking. What does it look like in a couple of years? Uh, presumably, you've got those steps done and you're on to, uh, to the next handful of, uh, of implementation capability. What, what are you expecting to see over the next couple of years? Yeah, so, so several things. Um, when we think about the, the modernization roadmap, things continue to change, right? So we're living in what we call the new now. Um, it's not the new norm, it's the new now because you never know, tomorrow things may completely change. Um, however, as, as organizations, as companies and, and the world continues to evolve, the, the world in which we once knew users coming into an office 12 hours a day, then trying to commute back home and do more work, those type of things are, are becoming less and less more common. So with that being said, how do we again meet the end user where they are? we have to really embody and embrace this concept of remote work uh, because remote work will, will, will be here. And with that being said, a lot of the, the technical dialogue and terms that we're using, zero trust, continuous monitoring to secure um, the, the lacking of VPN or the, the use of it, uh, we have to begin to think about how we can meet that remote user. And, and in three to four years, uh, the way we see things or the way we envision it, especially from an IT perspective at the Corps of Engineers is, Users, we only may have 10% of our users that go into the office. So with that being said, it's less more of a, a land-land connection, but more so of a remote connection, a Wi-Fi-enabled connection. And that allows us to look at things such as 5G to, to be able to em employ or deploy a lot of these technical things. Um, so in three to five years, I think several things will, will happen. One, funding. How we pursue funding from a federal perspective will probably change. Uh, because with that being said, in order to leverage a lot of this new technology and capabilities, it's going to force us to think about things from, from multiple years versus just the year of execution. Um, because a lot of our funding dollars, when we look at funds, um, we, we do have that one year, that one year time on a lot of our money. Um, but how do we, how can we take advantage of multi-year dollars to help move modernization efforts and initiatives forward? And I think those are the things we have to begin to look at. So in three to five years, some of those high level uh, funding, funding, uh, initiatives and, and, and policies may end up changing because in order to really move things forward, you have to look at those things because if you don't have the funds and the leadership investment, then you can't do any of these things. So I think that's something that the, the, the larger organization, larger federal government, DOD, will probably end up taking a look at how do we source and build IT from a funding perspective. Kevin, you're sitting at sort of the catbird seat, if you will, uh, looking across the community 
what are you expecting out there? What, what's sort of your marker uh, two years out? So, um, so we'll, we'll, we'll be watching that closely. We always start, and I, I like to refer back to uh, whenever we're talking about the vision of what we're trying to, to achieve, uh, a General Nakasone quote from a foreign affairs um, article that, uh, that he helped co-author last year. And, and it's, um, it really gives my team sort of the, the focus of what we're all trying to achieve, and we try to continue to explain this to our critical network and system owners. Um, and I'm going to read it just to make sure I don't get it wrong. But um, he says, for Zero Trust, the goal is simple but strategic. We aim to prevent to prevent toeholds from turning into beachheads so that a single compromise will not threaten the military's ability to accomplish its mission. Right. And, and ultimately, that's that's really what we're trying to do. And, and as a as a former you know, red teamer myself, spending seven years being frustrated that that we just weren't putting the attention into the right places inside the network. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited, you know, uh, to see a change in this security model. I think it's going to take a little time to get everyone uh, rolled out. Uh, many people have already said on this call even that that, that it is a journey. I, I believe that we continue to improve, but uh, we never finally get there. Um, but but what we're already starting to see at, at big department levels, certainly within the DoD, is, is a, uh, a better alignment between different projects and programs that are out there. Those those projects that were hard in the past, and they might have been, uh, you know, data, data tagging, data protection, are starting to get um, the attention that they need because we know that this is a data-centric strategy. That that ultimately, it's about the data that the data that and the assets and the services that uh, that we need to be protecting. Um, that those will also, um, you know, get the funding that they need and the measurements that they need to progress on. Um, so uh, it's allowing us to pull from those legacy programs, perhaps, you know, manage our portfolios a little bit different to, to, to manage the money a little bit better. And then from a vendor's perspective, it's, it's real positive um, um, just seeing as we all come to agreement on, a, on, on what seems to be a very common understanding of zero trust, um, what, what things we still need. In fact, I mean, John Davis already touched on a challenge area for us. It's, it's one thing to say, hey, you know, we need to identify our critical data app, app assets and services that we're trying to protect. Then we need to monitor and do the analytics necessary to architect that zero trust environment. Again, very easy to say. It's exciting to, to hear that, uh, that the vendor community is starting to look at how, 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 how they can help make, a, make that easier for all of us, right? To turn that concept of zero trust into something that's real, to get those policies uh, and, and those the segmentation uh, gateways or access control engines that we need to, to provide appropriate access to data. But, but yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, you know, we're, we've got a, we've got a bright shiny star that's showing us what North is right now. And uh, it's an exciting time to be in the, in the, in the cybersecurity field. Uh, we could talk all day about this, but we're going to have to wrap it up. I want to first thank all of the guests here for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us for this program. And thank you for your service. I'd like to thank the, the sponsors here for supporting us on the show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.